Blog Talk Radio. everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is November the 8th, 2019. Uh, gosh, time is flying and the temperature is dropping. New York is going to get below the freezing point tonight. And I hope wherever you are, uh, you stay warm and safe and have a great weekend coming up. Uh, always glad to join you at the end of the week to play the inevitable game of catch up. And boy, is there ever stuff to catch up on. Um, those of you familiar with me know my background. I'm a former INS senior special agent, and ever since 9-11, the attacks of 9-11, that is, um, my goal has been to educate as many of our fellow Americans and our politicians, our alleged leaders, alleged, about the true significance of America's borders and immigration laws and be a sort of mythbuster because there's been lots of lies, lots of mythology, um, lots of propaganda spewed by the globalists about the true importance of immigration. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sitting here just trying to figure out how in the world to rationally, objectively um, discuss what we're going to talk about today. I, um, I'm always afraid to put the news on in the morning because you never know what's going to pop up on the screen. And just a couple of days ago, I woke up to the news, as did all of us, about an American family living in Mexico that had suffered nine fatalities. And it wasn't just that they died. That's bad enough. And it was women and children, some of them infants. It was the way they were killed. They were apparently hunted down. The crime scene, as we found out in the following days, extended nearly 10 miles. Over 200 shell casings had been found. It was apparent that the cartels who killed them chased them down, hunted them down. Um, The length of the crime scene and so forth, you have to imagine they were trying to literally run for their lives. Some of the people shot were children running from the vehicles. And the Mexican news immediately said, well, maybe it was mistaken identity. Maybe the cartels saw SUVs and thought the occupants were their opponents, their adversaries. Sure thing. Eight-year-old kids, seven-year-old infants, absolutely. No doubt it's easy to mistake them for for the members of the rival cartel, isn't it? But, of course, the news media lapped it up. Oh, they they sipped the Kool-Aid with two straws. and Yeah, well, we have to sort this out. We don't know what's happened here yet, but it was a terrible murder. And, and, and the more we look at this, the worse it gets. I wrote an article about this horrific crime, this bloodbath. Um, I don't know how, I, you know, sometimes words just don't do it. And here I am at work. They used to call me the wordsmith. Um, you know, I took my degree in communications, arts and sciences, my BA in BS, as I sometimes like to refer to it. But how do you describe a crime scene like this? How do you describe the crime scene where a Mexican police officer was hit by 150 bullets? They just, it was like being in a rainstorm of lead because he had been involved with the arrest of El Chapo Guzman's son just a couple of days earlier. They hunted him down and obliterated him. This wasn't just about killing. This was about sending a message, sending a message. And who is the message being sent to? Everybody in Mexico, from the president to the judges to the politicians to the citizens to the rival gangs, maybe a message to the United States also that we are large and we are in charge. And what's so astonishing, and, and you know, I spent half my 30-year career with the former Immigration and Naturalization Service assigned to DEA and assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. And In uh, 1988, I was given an amazing assignment. I was called into the office by my uh, assistant director for investigations, 
Um, Walter Connery, he ran investigations in New York, former New York City cop. Um, before he retired from the New York City Police Department, he was the head of internal affairs. He was a deputy inspector. He had a law degree, highly respected, very qualified man. He called me in. I'll never forget the conversation. He said, Mike, I need you to take a very sensitive position at DEA Unified Intelligence. And it, it created problems at the same time because I was a single parent. My, my son was just a couple of years old. Uh, my first wife had died a couple of years earlier, so it was just the two of us. And I was thinking, my gosh, how do I fulfill my obligations as an agent and fulfill my, to me at least, to be honest, even more important obligations as a father to a very young child? Somehow we made it work. He was determined that I should take the assignment. I was very flattered because when Walt came to immigration, at first he was the head of internal affairs in Washington and ran into conflict with some of our bosses, and I could only imagine why. And they said, we're going to send you to New York. You're going to head up investigations. So I was very flattered that he called me in and said, this is a very sensitive position. I need somebody I can trust. I trust you completely. Because he said, if you're in DEA intelligence, you're going to know everything that's going on. And I did. It was an amazing assignment. I actually almost did not put in for a promotion because I hated to leave where I was. I could go to any squad in the New York office, tell the group supervisor, and there had to be a reason, obviously. You know, this wasn't a picnic. But I could go to any supervisor and say, okay, I'd like to go out with you tomorrow for the arrest. I'd like to go out with you tomorrow when you do this by bust. I want to interview your informants. <clears throat> I had access to everything. It was like sitting in the catbird seat. And it was a hell of a learning experience to spend four years at Unified Intelligence across the room from me. I mean, everybody was there. It was like, uh, you name it, we were there. Unified Intelligence is the right title. We had representatives from British Customs, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, FBI, obviously DEA, New York City, New York State Police, IRS, U.S. Marshal Service, all working together. Plus other intelligence agencies um, were, were exchanging with us data, intelligence, and so forth. And I'll, I'll leave that to your imagination. Lots of three-letter agencies and four-letter agencies as well. Anything you wanted to learn about DEA and about drug enforcement and about narcotics investigation, this was the place to be. And I was there for nearly four years. And you saw the emergence of Mexico as the preeminent drug supplying country for the United States. It used to be that Colombia sent us the cocaine. But what we saw happening up there was that um, the Colombians were being intercepted. They were sending their boats directly into Miami, speed boats. They were called cigarette boats, long boats, high power, very, very fast. Sometimes they're called go fast boats for that reason. And they flooded Florida with drugs. If you think back to the TV series, Miami Vice, there was also a movie based on that. That was reality. The, New York, the American economy was in the toilets. We had double-digit inflation thanks to Jimmy Carter and his wacky ineptitude and other factors, of course, that conspired to, to do harm. We were dependent on foreign oil. Um, if you remember the long lines for gasoline, really, it, it brought America to its knees. And, and I know there's a lot of environmental issues, and, and one day we should probably have a discussion about that also, climate change and, and a bunch of other stuff that, frankly, is more hype than anything in my judgment. And, and I can back that up with facts. And there's been many people who are climatologists that will tell you, look, the Earth's climates have cyclically gotten hot and cold. We've had ice ages. We thawed out. This is a routine matter, and the sun is getting warmer. And as the sun gets warmer, it warms the Earth. And then when the, the Earth gets warm, carbon dioxide from the oceans that's dissolved in the oceans is released into the atmosphere. So the warming sun drives the carbon dioxide, not the other way around. But we'll, we'll step back from that. But what we saw happening was how America was vulnerable, vulnerable to foreign sources of oil, OPEC, and so forth, vulnerable to everything. And the economy suffered, and there was unemployment, and, and it was a mess. But Florida had no problem with money. In fact, if you look at the Florida skyline, the Miami skyline, many of those buildings were built during this era because the drug money was fueling everything. Car dealerships could not hold on to Ferraris and Lamborghinis and Maseratis. People were coming in, dropping down, you know, literally bags of cash and driving out with a brand new car. 
Rolex watches. Couldn't find any of those in Miami. They were being snapped up. Drug money flooded into Miami, and while the rest of the country was in the toilets, Miami flourished, all built on drug money. That's why sometimes today I wonder if we took the drug money out of real estate, out of real estate banking, Wall Street, what would happen to our economy? The drug trade is a major element of the economy of this country. Perhaps that's why there's no commercials about warning children about the dangers of drugs. We had 40 people die because of vaping, and I think it's terrible, and I, and I hate smoke. My dad died of lung cancer. I can't watch the cigarette commercials. But 40 people so far have died to vaping, and it's being handled like a major catastrophe. Last year, 70,000 people died of opiate overdoses, and you hear crickets. Nada. Shh, don't say a word. And let's blame it only on, or primarily on pharmaceutical companies with, with those drugs, what, what DEA calls diversion. Again, being a part of DEA until we saw that. Diversion was the division of DEA that would go to the pharmacists and the doctors who were giving prescription meds to people that shouldn't be getting them. So, again, I, I had the opportunity to see all of this. You know, people think, well, Mike Cutler was an immigration agent. What does he know about drugs? Well, the assignments that I had gave me such an amazing overview. And then after I left that assignment, by the way, at the Unified Intelligence at DEA, I went on to become a member of the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. I was promoted to a senior special agent. Uh, I was a GS-13 in the military. It's the equivalent of being a lieutenant colonel. I was happy to take that to get the promotion. And, and so then I was involved with the actual field investigations, not just developing intelligence and participating with squads when necessary. I was in those various squads, making the cases, making the arrests, seizing the drugs, uh, and helping with the prosecutions. Immigration law enforcement is a tremendous, tremendous tool for law enforcement. The second largest contingent of law enforcement agents who are assigned to the Joint Terrorism Task Force, for example, believe it or not, the FBI runs it, so they provide the greatest number of agents, but ICE provides the second greatest number because every foreign terrorist who one way or the other enters the United States violates multiple provisions of the Immigration and Nationality Act of the United States, whether it's visa fraud, running the borders, reentry after deportation, illegal alien with firearms, uh, we can go down the whole list. Immigration is a huge hammer, and yet we have very few agents. That's a failure by design, failure by design, because the power elite don't want the status quo where immigration is concerned to stop. That's why you get false choices. Well, if you can't deport them all, let's give them all lawful status. We don't say that about any other violations of law. No one ever says there are too many people who drink and drive, so let's forget about drunk driving. There are too many people who text and drive. No, you arrest as many as you can. You launch a massive public relations campaign, and you convince people that if they pick up that cell phone while they're driving, SWAT will descend on the car and pull them through the skylight of their car. I mean, that's the commercials. But immigration, everyone gets out there and makes these speeches. Oh, these poor immigrants. And what we're doing, as I said when I testified the very last time before the Senate Judiciary Committee on Immigration, I said what this does is to basically fire the starter's pistol for aspiring illegal aliens from around the world. And for those folks, the finish line is the border of the United States. Because once they get past the border, by whatever means, they are essentially home free. So to get back to how we get to Mexico is as our people concentrated on going after those boats that Colombia was sending up to Miami, we were also going after the cartel leaders in Colombia, and the Colombian government was working cooperatively with us. So suddenly the people in Colombia that were running the drugs to the United States says, wait a minute, this is a bad situation. <clears throat> They're intercepting our dope. We're getting locked up. We're not, we don't want this to continue this way. So they made a conscious decision that they would partner with the Mexicans and let the Mexicans smuggle the drugs through the Mexican border because it's 2,000 miles of very often inhospitable terrain. I've been there. I've been down to that border. I've, I've walked along that border. And let me tell you, it's a rough place to be. So they said, we'll give the business, half the business will go to the Mexicans and we'll split our profits. But they also shield us, the Colombians, from 
American law enforcement. And that's when it really hit the fan. That's when suddenly you saw a shift. We used to be out in Queens, Roosevelt Avenue, which became El Chapo Guzman's stomping grounds. You know, you go down that block, uh, down that strip, it, it seems like every fourth or fifth establishment is a money wire service that advertises that they will move money 24-7. Big flashing sign, 24-7. How many people wake up at 3 in the morning and say, gee whiz, I have to send money back to my family, my home country? Not that many are doing it at 3 in the morning. This is pure economics. This is pure supply and demand. Those establishments are there because there's a huge demand for moving money in the middle of the night. You can drive by there at 3 in the morning, and sometimes it's as busy as though it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I kid you not. But it was almost like somebody snapped their fingers. One day, the Colombians controlled Roosevelt Avenue, and in short order, Mexico took it over. The Colombians left. The Mexicans came in. The Colombians were flamboyant. The women would walk around during the summer in, in super tight spandex get-ups, and it, it was quite a sight, i got to tell you. And all of a sudden, snap of the fingers, the Colombians were gone, and Mexicans took over the drug trade, took over the neighborhood. It was palpable. And the Mexicans were an interesting bunch because the Mexican cartels said, we need protection from our rivals. So they hired former military and former police officers to protect them. It didn't take long before these high-powered, um, highly trained individuals, some of whom we trained in America, by the way, they know our playbook, said, wait a minute, why are we protecting these drug lords? We can take them over and we'll run the business for ourselves. And they became known as Los Zetas. They're among the most vicious and violent drug traffickers the world has ever seen. Many of their tactics emulate that of the terrorist groups, beheadings and, and all kinds of crazy things. And let's not forget, as I've discussed on this program and in the articles that I've written for Front Page and elsewhere, as we've seen in congressional testimony, Hezbollah, which is a terrorist organization that is controlled and sponsored by Iran, is now working in close coordination with human traffickers and drug smugglers to flood America with narcotics, which provides ample cash for Iran's terror program around the world with people, which, again, is very lucrative, very lucrative alien smuggling, human trafficking. But it also, by giving them access to those people, they can also flood into the United States sleeper agents. And we've seen a number of sleeper agents arrested and prosecuted just within the last couple of weeks. One individual, in fact, came to the United States in 2000, just a year or two after he joined Hezbollah, became a United States citizen. And when he was arrested just a couple of weeks ago, he was found to be in possession of photographs of potential targets for terror attacks in New York, Washington, and elsewhere. He's a naturalized citizen. And there's a whole bunch of things that we could talk about where how the citizenship process is flawed. We're supposed to do good moral character investigations. That is, when they say we, it's a parenthetic we, the agents of ICE. It's not possible. The law says good moral character. We're lucky that we run fingerprints and do a record check on a name. There's just too many applications. Hundreds of thousands of aliens naturalize every year. How in the world do you have a staff of, of a couple thousand agents who have so many other responsibilities begin to do field investigations to make certain that those who apply for citizenship really possess good moral character. It doesn't happen. So more and more, what are we seeing? Naturalized citizens who are engaged in terrorism. One of the Tsarnaev brothers, Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber. We go right down the list. Aliens who came to the United States, applied for a benefit, including citizenship, green cards, political asylum, lack of resources, meant no investigative capabilities. We rubber stamp the application. And suddenly this newly minted American citizen carries out a terrorist attack. It's insane. But we're not addressing the issues. We don't want to hire the agents because, God forbid, the agents could go after the employers. The agents would go after the human traffickers. One of the lies that we hear. Oh, wow. If we had ICE working with the police, aliens who are the victims of crime would never come forward. Aliens who had information about crime would not come forward if they were here illegally because they don't want to be deported. How many times have you heard that sickening, disgusting, and outrageous lie? It seems like 10 times a day. 10 times a day. Lie after lie after lie after lie. 
We've got to protect the immigrants from ICE. Immigrants don't need protection from ICE. If you're driving down the highway and you're observing the speed limit and you're driving safely, how much protection do you need from the police? Zero. Who might be upset if the police saw them driving? Well, a guy without a license, a guy who was drunk, a guy who was speeding, a guy who's driving recklessly. Yeah, they do need to be identified by the cops and taken off the road so they don't kill anybody. Law-abiding foreign nationals, that is to say aliens, need no protection from ICE. ICE is not the Gestapo, but that's how they portray it. They, the crooks in politics. They, the ones who take the bribes known as campaign contributions. It infuriates me. I want you to stop and put on your thinking cap for a moment. How many times have you seen an appeal by police wherever you live or elsewhere? Please. We're looking for this man. Here's a picture. The guy's a fugitive. He raped a little girl. He shot the girl's mother. He robbed the Whatever the crime is, horrible crimes. And they give you an anonymous tip line that you can call in. If you know where this man is, call whatever it is, 777-TIPS, T-I-P-S, right? They give you this number. And very often they even include the word tips in the phone number. You don't have to give a name. They'll assign a number to you. Yeah, you're, you're number 487, whatever. Give us the information, and we'll go work the case. Why do they need to know who you are? Why would they ask an alien about his or her immigration status if the alien walks into a precinct and says, I know who's selling narcotics on my block? Oh, no, I want to see your license and your library card and your credit card. we got to know who you are. We're going to fingerprint you. You think that actually happens? Of course not. People might be afraid, not of the police, but that the bad guys or his friends might get even if they told you who was who. So there's an anonymous way to provide the information. You don't hear that from the mayor. You don't hear that from the governor. If I was the mayor of New York, I would say, look, don't worry about immigration status, folks. In fact, if you come to the police, they can work with you to help you stay here, which we can. That was one of the reasons that they wanted to have immigration agents at the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA and that the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, and that the Joint Terrorism Task Force. Why? Because as an immigration agent, if we had an alien who was here illegally, but that person was providing us with good information, we could give them legal permission to stay in the country, either for a limited period of time or ultimately permanently. There's something known as S-visas, informant visas. You've done that much for us, we're going to get you a green card and you can bring your whole family here. And my friends at the FBI and DEA and ATF and Secret Service said, you know, Mike, we have limitless money. I mean, the, the, the FBI basically has a printing press in the basement where they, can, they have as much money as they need. Immigration never did. Believe it or not, there were times I had to borrow the credit cards from the FBI, DEA, or ATF to gas up my government car. That's how cash-strapped we were. This is the United States of America, and there were days I felt like I worked for a third-world agency. The INS, we used to call it the Justice Department's stepchild. And, and if you thought the Justice Department was a stepchild, the investigators, the special agents of, of immigration, uh, were, were absolutely the runt of the litter. We got nothing. We used to get Border Patrol cars after the Border Patrol put 130,000 miles on them and the cars could really, barely run. And in fact, the Border Patrol ran the policies of the agency. And, and I'm a big fan of the Border Patrol. I went to Border Patrol Academy. But there's a lot more to immigration than the Mexican border or the borders itself. Giving citizenship to aliens who shouldn't be getting it is a huge problem, especially when the alien in question is a terrorist or a fugitive. Think of all the Nazis that had to be hunted down after the Second World War because they had snuck into the United States and they were sleeping and living among us, uh, running from the long arm of the law and justice. And bad as that is, and for me it's personal, my family was decimated in the Holocaust. I was named for my mother's mother, my grandmother, who was killed in Poland because we're Jewish. But the terrorists aren't happy just to hide here to evade law enforcement. They're here to kill us. And that's where sanctuary cities makes things dangerous for everybody. That's why giving driver's licenses to illegal aliens makes things dangerous for the whole country. Because once you get a driver's license from any state, you can go to any other state, rent a truck, and use it as a weapon. Isn't that what we've been seeing around the the world? Motor vehicles, not airplanes, motor vehicles being used as weapons of mass destruction, particularly trucks. It was a van, a U-Haul van, 
that was parked in the garage of the World Trade Center in 1993 and damn near brought the towers down. There would have been hundreds of thousands of fatalities. The goal of the terrorists was to kill 250,000 people. They almost succeeded. They almost succeeded. And a motor vehicle was at the heart of the, of the plan, of the plot. Why in the world, especially in New York State, the state that got hammered the worst on 9-11, would you give driver's licenses to people who can't prove who they are? This, folks, is an act of suicide, homicide, corruption. It's nuts. It's absolutely insane. You know, when I was on Fox and Friends first a number of months ago, I, I raised the question with the with the hosts of the program. I we were talking about the problem of illegal immigration, and I said, would you be willing to get on an airplane if you saw some of your fellow passengers sneak past TSA? And they freaked out. They said, of course not. I said, then why are we being forced to live among millions of people who snuck into the United States and evaded a very similar vetting process that's conducted at ports of entry? You see, this is a level of stupidity, corruption, insanity. I don't know. Pick, take, take your pick. Because there's no rational explanation or justification for what they're doing. None. And so the Mexicans now are running the drug trade through the Mexican border. They have control of the border. They and the gangs, MS-13, the cartels, they're running it. They're running it. And when the president said, we're going to build a wall, everyone said, oh, waste of money. Why would you build a wall? You know, the drugs are going to come in this way and they're coming. You have to see the border as an element of what should be a cohesive immigration system. You know, I tell people I support the building of a wall on the border, but the wall by itself won't end the immigration crisis. I compare the wall on the border to a wing on an airplane. Without the wing, the airplane doesn't fly, but the wing by itself goes nowhere. And if you may remember, a couple of weeks ago, there was a story that the members of the cartel found a way to use power tools to cut through the wall that had just been built. We know that nothing is 100%. You can get the best locks in the world, put them on your doors, and people will defeat the locks. Every lock, and I don't care if it's in a bank vault, has something that locksmiths refer to as defeat time. Defeat time. How long it takes to defeat the lock. If it's a little, you know, padlock that you put on your locker at the gym, you know, maybe it's 30 seconds. Worst case, you get you get a hacksaw, those big clippers, you know, and bang, it's gone. Why bother fucking screwing around with the with the uh, with the lock when all you got to do is, is use pliers or some tool and, and and you do it. It's kind of like the Gordian knot. Why would you bother going through all this convoluted process when all you got to do is clip the damn thing? Okay, when you get to bank vaults, it's a lot more serious. Same thing with house locks, same thing with all sorts of other ways of keeping people from getting in. Nothing is foolproof. You know, my dad used to say that locks were for honest people. So security is done in layers. You put up the border wall, you need more interior enforcement, you need the border patrol. It's layers. The idea to the wall is to greatly lower the number of people running across the border who are not being inspected, to lower the ability of the, of the bad guys to bring in contraband, which, by the way, at some point, might even, God forbid, include weapons of mass destruction. Iran, even as you're listening to my program, just announced earlier this week that they are now injecting uranium gas into their centrifuges in a, in a laboratory that's located inside a mountain. I think that they're now racing to make the bomb. I think this is their final sprint. So if anybody doubted, that President Trump was wrong. And I don't always agree with Trump. I have to tell you that many times I disagree. But this should be clear, that if this is what they're doing, that their goal all along was to get a nuclear weapon. And some countries get nuclear weapons because they look at their neighbor and they say, well, my neighbor has nuclear weapons. I need to be able to defend myself. And this was the policy the U.S. and, and uh, Russia did. It was known as MAD, Mutually Assured Destruction. You launch your nukes, we'll launch our nukes, and before we're destroyed, we will have dealt you a fatal blow also. It's a murder-suicide. You kill us, we kill you, mutually assured destruction. But Iran isn't talking about securing itself against an attack. 
Iran is saying, if we get nuclear weapons, we're going to wipe out Israel, then we're coming for the United States. And we know that Iran is operating in Latin America with the smugglers. Not hard to imagine if they got their hands on a weapon that they could bring it into the United States through the Mexican border or elsewhere. The border is critical to our national security. It's very simple. It was remarkable that when we went into Iraq, Operation Desert Storm, immediately, you know, we sent Border Patrol agents there, or Iraqi Freedom, rather. We immediately sent the BORTAC teams to secure the Iraqi border against the incursion of terrorists and, and, and subversives and so forth. But we, we leave our own borders wide open. Thank you, George W., another genius. We've seen this from administration after administration after administration. That was why Jeb Bush said, you know, illegal immigration was an act of love. And I wrote an article where I said, yeah, well, Jeb is looking for love in all the wrong places. That border is a matter of national security. Why they don't accept it is beyond me. So we understand what's happening in Mexico. And then we had this horrific murder. And as I did some research, because sometimes you find things as you do research for an article that leaves you dumbfounded and flabbergasted. If you go to Front Page Magazine, and I hope you will, and read my article, the remarkable thing is that in February of last year, Forbes published an article. And it talked about how more Americans are killed every year in Mexico than are killed in all the other countries on this planet Earth combined. That's how violent Mexico is. Now, let's go back to 1985. There was a DEA agent by the name of Kiki Camarena who was kidnapped by the cartels, tortured, and killed an American DEA agent. We had Border Patrol agent Brian Terry killed in 2010, we believe by members of the cartel, <coughs> using guns from Fast and Furious. You know, we have a short attention span in America. Remember Fast and Furious, ATF shipped God knows how many high-powered weapons into Mexico as part of a supposed investigation into weapons trafficking. We flooded Mexico with guns across that border. Brian Terry, an American hero, also a member of the armed forces, was gunned down, killed. Um, remarkable. And I'm telling you all this because what's so incredible was that on September the 25th of this year, September 25th, 2019, the Wall Street Journal reported that the Senate had voted on a resolution that declared that there's no emergency on the U.S.-Mexican border. Let me repeat that. On September the 25th of this year, just a couple of weeks ago, the United States Senate, by the way, the Republicans are in control of the Senate, right? At least 11 Republican senators, if I remember the statistic, voted with the Democrats that there's nothing to see here. No problem on the Mexican border. Everything is wonderful. The weather's fine. Come on down. How in the world can you look at the situation on the Mexican border and say there's no emergency and the president should stop using military funding to build a wall? It's astonishing. And just a couple of days after that, we have El Chapo Guzman's son arrested by the federales in Mexico. And guess what happens? They are forced to release him back to the cartels because the federales were overwhelmed by the firepower of the cartels. The, the cartels outgunned the federales. This is a failed state, basically, folks. This is a failed state on our 2,000-mile doorstep. And now we find out that one of the police officers who apparently was instrumental in that arrest wasn't just killed, but, I mean, 150 bullets fired at him. 150. Imagine what that looks like. 150 bullets. Swiss cheese. Swiss cheese. Dust. They were sending a message. You screw with us and we will obliterate you. That was the message. And then we have this horrific murder of these women and children who are American citizens living in the northern regions of Mexico. Nothing to see here. 
There's no emergency on the border. There's no crisis. We've had ICE agents killed in Mexico who were going from one place to another. They were they were um, pulled over by the, by the cartels and killed. If you remember that story, one was killed, one was badly wounded. ICE agents operating in Mexico in, in conjunction with our consulates and embassy. But there's nothing to see here. Seventy thousand people died of opiate overdoses last year. A lot of that coming across the border, but there's nothing to see here. We've had hearing after hearing about Hezbollah operating with human traffickers to move sleeper agents into the United States. Iran is now apparently charging towards a nuclear weapon. But don't worry about the border. There's no emergency here. But try to get on an airplane without your driver's license and see where you wind up. We strip search people routinely just to get on a damn airplane but no airplane has been used in an act of terror since 9-11 that I'm aware of. Motor vehicles are, but in New York State, we give driver's licenses to illegal aliens who can't prove who the hell they are. But there's nothing to see here. Everything is fine. We've got this. It's under control. I, I just want you to stop and think about all of this. This is so irrational, so illogical, so contrary to common sense, contrary to the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission. And Forbes writes an article about the level of violence inside Mexico, that more people are killed, more Americans are killed in Mexico than lose their lives in all of the other countries on the planet combined. But there's nothing to see here, and there's no emergency. Everything is fine. Let it be. How does this make sense to anybody? It's remarkable that I was called for hearings Shortly after 9-11, the one that really stands out in my memory was the hearing about how two of the dead terrorists, Mohammed Atta and Marwan al-Sheikh, could possibly have been granted authorization to attend flight school six months after 9-11. That video, by the way, of that hearing is a permanent part of the C-SPAN library. It's part of the history of 9-11. I was invited to testify at that hearing by Sheila Jackson Lee, believe it or not, with the consent of um, Jim Sensenbrenner, James F. Sensenbrenner, or F. James Sensenbrenner, I forget which way the initial goes, but Jim Sensenbrenner was the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. Sheila Jackson Lee was the ranking member of the House Immigration Subcommittee, and they said, we need you to come testify, and I did. Six months after 9-11, I brought two of my boys with me. Nobody could believe it. Sheila Jackson Lee asked me to testify at a hearing about alien smuggling, and I convinced her that we need to look at more than the Mexican border, but to look at visa fraud. We had a whole big go around. I wrote a memo to her to convince her that I was right. And in my memo to Sheila Jackson Lee, I believe at the time she was the ranking member of the House Immigration Subcommittee, I said, look, when you put a fence on your property to protect the property, you don't put the fence against the wall of your building. You put it at the furthest extremity of the property that you own. I mean, where do they put up gates and fences? You don't put it against the building. You put it out at the curb, out at the furthest extremity. And I said that a properly administered visa requirement, in essence, moves America's borders out to the embassies and consulates where visas are issued. That helps to keep bad guys off of airplanes. By the way, Poland just became the 39th, I believe, visa waiver country. Thank you, Mr. President. The visa waiver program shouldn't exist at all. We had 26 visa waiver countries on 9-11. The 9-11 Commission was clear that there should be no, you know, we need to tighten up the visa process. So you would have thought they would have ended the visa waiver program. But, oh, no, the U.S. Chamber of Horrors, I mean, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce leaned on the politicians. And, of course, they got what they want because the politicians are employees of the Chamber of Commerce. The politicians are the employees of anybody who writes a check. That's why this is so insidious and corrupt. I was not allowed to accept a cup of coffee when I was on duty as an agent. But the politicians are out there every day. How many emails do you get, folks? Send money. The other side is doing this. We need to do that. Send any amount, 50, 100, 200, and, and they give you fancy names. You know, you could be a prince for $50, a king for whatever, and an emperor for $500. You know, ridiculousness. It's like you go to the airport. And, and they, they let you walk on a red carpet to get on the same airplane, but, but they give you a title, 
super-duper platinum deluxe diamond-studded ticket holders, step this way. You get on the airplane before the other people, and you walk literally on, on, a, on a red little runner. The first time I saw that, I thought it was a skit out of Saturday Night Live, and people fall for this crap. The, the red carpet treatment and give us an extra, <coughs> what is it, $500? Who knows? <coughs> We've lost our minds, folks. And we've been intimidated and bullied. That's not how Americans operate. And I'm telling you that Sheila Jackson Lee and the others so agreed with what I wrote that they changed the title of the hearing to pushing out the borders. <clears throat> I've been told that to this day when they do hearings about visas, they use that expression. Pushing out the borders. It makes sense. Just a couple of years later at a hearing, I said to Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee, if you look at the nexus between immigration and terrorism, and she stopped me and said, Mr. Cutler, there is no nexus. Terrorism has nothing to do with immigration. Folks, I have to tell you, I almost fell out of my chair. The same woman called me to testify about two dead terrorists getting permission to go to flight school because everyone saw a clear connection between immigration and terrorism. That same Congresswoman invited me to testify about alien smuggling and terrorism. And a couple of years later, she said there's no connection between the two. Not only did she say it, but all of the Democrats said it. The Republicans, of course, disagree. But when was the last time you saw a Republican stand up and say, let's hire more ICE agents? The 12th of never? If you want to look for collusion in Washington, look at the Republicans and Democrats on immigration. Just a couple of months ago, they tripped over each other to pass a bill that would make it easier for more H-1B visa holders to come to the United States so we can fire more American kids. Everyone's jumping up and down about this notion of free college. Well, I agree with free college. We're going to freak everybody out. The conservatives are probably fainting even as I speak. I can hear the thuds. Look, we all have to go to high school. Because there's a Supreme Court decision that says that kids in America, including illegal aliens under the age of 16, have to go to school. It's compulsory and it's free. Why? Because you can't have a democracy without an educated electorate. That's the theory. Education is critical, right? Today, a bachelor's degree is the functional equivalent of a high school diploma of 100 years ago. People go to the Air Force and the Navy, the Marines, whatever. They want to be pilots. If they're accepted into the program, they sign an, an agreement that they're going to stay on with the military for whatever the hitch is, eight years, seven years, I don't know, whatever the number is. They work the contract out. You get the best pilot training in the world. They'll spend a million dollars, whatever, on you. And for the next eight years, you're basically an indentured servant for the military. And that's fine. I'm, I'm joking when I say indentured servant. But they own you. You're going to fly fighter planes or transports or helicopters, whatever they tell you you're going to fly, you fly it. And our pilots are the best in the world. No one comes close to American military pilots. They're the best of the best of the best, period, exclamation point, end sentence. Our people are the best, the most talented, best trained. Okay. After their hitch is up, if they want to go and work for an airline, whatever they want to do, they can take that incredible training that the military gave them, Take all those years of experience that they got flying for the military and go work for the airlines. And by the way, I couldn't imagine anybody more qualified to fly a commercial airliner than a military pilot. Um, think of the miracle of the Hudson. Sully, you know, Sullenberger brought that airplane down to the Hudson. Not a single person lost his life. Nobody seriously injured. He was a military pilot. No shock. Our men and women of the armed forces are the best. By the way, we have Veterans Day coming up on Monday. Please go out of your way to thank the military. Um, we owe them so much, and and, and, and and we do nothing for them in return, really, when you come down to it. So it would make sense to educate American kids the same way. You, if, you're, if you want to be an engineer or a biologist or a doctor, whatever, we need the profession. We'll give you the training, and then you serve in that capacity for X number of years. We, we have to work something out instead of bringing in people from other countries. But the push from the right is let's bring in an unlimited number of H-1B visa holders and high-tech workers. Basically what they're saying, let's screw Americans. And Remarkably, the House and Senate passed that bill, and, and I have no doubt that the president will sign it. 
I'm, I'm so tired of all of this. I'm disgusted. When are we going to start to look out for American kids? You have kids coming out of school with student loans and they can't get a job in their chosen professions, even if they graduate with, with great grades and a great background and great training. They're getting shafted, and the emphasis by our crooked politicians, forgive the redundancy, is to bring in still more high-tech workers from overseas or train them. The genius Mitt Romney, who said, well, now that you've educated these people from around the world, you should be stapling green cards onto their diplomas so they won't go halfway around the world when they graduate. They'll come and work in America. Wonderful, Mitt. So we can fire more Americans and put them on the unemployment line and maybe make more Americans homeless. Heartless. Heartless, isn't he? Uh, and, but this is what we're dealing with. And then the, 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 the conservatives are upset. What's wrong with these American kids thinking socialism is the solution? How is capitalism working out for them when you keep on destroying their opportunities in their own country because you're greedy? We're doing this to our own country, folks. We ought to be encouraging kids to take those jobs and pay them a damn good wage. You know, why do you think kids get excited if they're being scouted by a major football team or baseball team? Because the amount of money they're going to get. But what are we doing now with the high tech fields? Screwing American kids, bring in foreign workers. We know they'll work for less money so the corporations can swallow up more bucks. Never mind that we're undermining our own children. And, and by the way, if you're an engineer or a scientist or a programmer and you make a half-decent salary, you're not going to need welfare. You're not going to need food stamps. You're going to pay taxes, and you're going to have more money to spend so that you become a better consumer, which helps to keep the economy going. You know, a rising tide rises, lifts all boats. When you destroy wages for Americans, they're unable to buy the garbage that's being peddled by the corporations that want the cheap labor. It's a downward death spiral. Everything is being slammed. But what's most stunning and what's most graphic and what was such an attention grabber, I'm sure for me, and I'm, I'm going to guess for you and many other Americans, is how the Senate could vote that there's no emergency on the border. And ironically, I said in my piece that I wrote about that fiasco, you know, however, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, the drug cartels, and the gangs didn't get the memo. How prophetic was that? They didn't get the memo because a couple days later, El Chapo Guzman's son gets arrested. They got to release him because of the overwhelming firepower of the cartels. And now we come to find out that the police officer who played a role in this, in that arrest, was obliterated. Not just killed, but obliterated. Then you have this American family. Then we also had the, the uh, announcement from, from the Justice Department that a major alien smuggling ring operating from across the world, including the Middle East, was taken down. Aliens being smuggled across the Mexican border from countries that sponsor terrorism. So the information's there. It's public information. And if you're a member of Congress, you certainly have, you certainly have uh, all, all sorts of uh, other things going on. But nobody seems to be able to focus in the Congress on what's happening. They have hearings about how everybody, and I mean everybody, is coming to the United States illegally across the Mexican border. They know that Hezbollah is doing this. This is all stuff that was in congressional hearings, Senate hearings, House hearings. I just sit there and read the, 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 the transcripts. It's available. It's public information. I use those links in my articles. If you read my articles, please click on the links, folks. I don't just write these articles because I, I have nothing else to do at 2 o'clock in the morning. I write the articles because I want you to have the facts because knowledge is power. When you sit down with your friends and families and neighbors for Thanksgiving, don't talk about Donald Trump. Don't talk about Hillary. Don't talk about Nancy Pelosi. Forget about the personalities. Talk about the issues. Ask your friends and neighbors, how do you feel about that American family? Because let me tell you something. The cartels are operating throughout the United States. And my great concern is as we ramp up sanctuary cities and all this other garbage, 
that this will embolden the cartels to start to operate in the United States the way they operate in Mexico. Imagine what that would mean. Imagine if the cartels thought they could get away in America with what they get away with in Mexico. And in New York, we have that genius, Mayor Dumb Blasio. I call him the hug-a-thug mayor, de Blasio, Dumb Blasio, the hug-a-thug mayor, who says, oh, if someone gets arrested for a crime and they can't post bail, for social justice purposes, why make them post bail? Let's just release them. Well, how's that working out? We've had more shootings, more violence, more craziness, but we have social justice. Never mind real justice. Never mind what the law says. And that's the way they're treating the president, by the way. You're supposed to be able to confront your accuser. It's in the Constitution. Remember that document that everyone seems to have forgotten? The same Constitution that say that the states are to be protected from invasion and domestic violence? Yes. So we hear, oh, my God, what the president's doing is unconstitutional. Really? Protecting America from invasion, Article 4, Section 4, folks, look it up. It's there. And so now uh, someone called him Schiff for Brains. I, I kind of like that. Says, well, we'll, 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 let, we'll, we'll let the Republicans see a transcript for what, these witness, for what the witness had to say. A transcript? Is that the way it works in court? You get arrested, and, and, and the witness against you issues a transcript. You're supposed to be able to cross-examine the people who accuse you. You're supposed to be able to see their facial expression. How do we even know with these, with these anything but trustworthy politicians that the so-called whistleblower, who's not a whistleblower, even wrote the, 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 the statement? By the way, I was a whistleblower. And a good friend of mine was removed as the chief of investigations for a major city when he told Congress the truth about how, under the Clinton administration, we were pushing citizenship applications through the system faster than, you know, what goes through a goose. He called it the Jiffy Lube process and within weeks was no longer the chief of investigations on some BS charge they came up with. They tried to fire him, and I went back to Lamar Smith, who at the time was chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, and I said to him and his people, if you don't back my friend up, he's a whistleblower, my days of helping are, are done, and I'm going to, you know, <laughs> this is really upsetting me. And Lamar Smith did the right thing. You know, the Republicans really showed great courage and, and great integrity shortly after 9-11. It was the Republicans who frequently called me to testify against the policies of the Bush administration, George W. Bush. Think about that. Think where we've gone since then. They'd call me up and say, the president is at it again. Would you like to come testify? I was told that Bush was well aware of my testimony and that he used to scream obscenities when my name came up in the Oval Office. I'd love to have a video of that. I'd probably make a loop and watch it all day if I was having a bad day just to have a chuckle. They would call me up and say, the president's getting it wrong. Please come to Washington and testify. Think of the courage that that took. John Hostetler, Jim Sensenbrenner, Lamar Smith. Where are we now? It's all about open borders and bullying Americans into believing that there's something wrong with you if you say, hey, look, maybe we shouldn't be turning bad guys loose on the street. We should be deporting them. And by the way, it's not just bad guys. Sleeper agents, like spies, are taught day one, don't attract attention to yourself. Someone once said that an effective spy, and you could say the same of a terrorist, is somebody who wouldn't attract the attention of a waiter or waitress at a greasy spoon diner. So what does that mean? They keep a low profile. They don't spit on the sidewalk. They don't argue with anybody. They don't jaywalk. They are model citizens. You hear it all the time. We're model members of the community. What do they do? They're very peaceful. They're very quiet. It's like a submarine. Run silent, run deep. They're very quiet until there's a loud kaboom that they are responsible for creating with lots of dead bodies. So, oh, the guy is only here in violation of his law. Yeah, only? What do you mean only? There's laws on the books to keep people out of the country that want to hurt us. Title 8, United States Code, Section 1182. Chuck Schumer understands this fully. He's not a dummy. One of my friends went to school with Chuck, and he said, you know, the guy got a perfect SAT score. So Chuck isn't stupid. I just think he lacks morality. So Schumer said, this is in 2013, I believe, or 14, we need a federal law that makes trespass on critical infrastructure and national landmarks a five-year felony. 
under federal law. But the same Schumer and his cohorts say, but when you trespass on America, we should give you citizenship. The disconnect and the hypocrisy is off the charts, just like it's off the charts that members of the Senate could declare that there's no emergency on the U.S.-Mexican border. I'd like them to explain to me what they think constitutes an emergency. After the 93 bombing, my friends and I all were convinced that the Clinton administration could not possibly ignore immigration. My friends at the FBI, DEA, ATF said to me, you know, Mike, immigration is going to come into its own. Finally, you guys are going to get the resources you need. This should make it clear to anybody who can fog a mirror that immigration is critical. They almost brought the World Trade Center down. They could have killed, God knows how many, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. They can't ignore it. They did. 9-11 happened, and George W. Bush created DHS in such a way that I came to call the Department of Homeland Surrender, and John Hostetler, the chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, and a conservative Republican, I might add, said that what was done by the Bush administration created immigration incoherence even after it was clearly determined that it wasn't failures of customs law or any other law, but it was failures of immigration law enforcement that enabled the attacks to take place. So each time this happens, and I'm asking the same question again, how many more people need to die before our politicians do what's necessary? And I've come to the conclusion that no level of carnage will move these people. Any member of the Senate who voted against border security, who said there's no emergency, needs to be voted out of office. There is a little bit of bright news, though. There are places in California, and there's, I think, two towns now in New Jersey that have passed ordinances by the electorate and by a very significant margin, two to one, I believe, in New Jersey, that their police must cooperate with ICE. So needless to say, the idiot governor of New Jersey and the idiot attorney general of New Jersey are having a cow threatening those municipalities and saying, if you dare cooperate with ICE, we're going to make you pay a price for this. Those municipalities are now suing. This needs to be a trend, folks. We need to throw the bums out. They don't care who dies. They don't care what happens to their children or our children. Maybe they care about their kids. God only knows what they care about other than themselves. They are grammatically challenged. They can't conjugate verbs in anything but the first person singular. You know, they're three most important people, me, myself, and I. They need to be removed from office either by a recall vote or in the next election. The clock is ticking. Time is not on our side. The timing, though, was truly incredible when you look at how right after the Senate said there's no emergency, look at all that transpired, and God only knows what might happen in the days and weeks to come. We have an obligation as Americans to stand together, to focus on those things that make us most similar, to recognize that as Americans we must pull together. All those superficial issues, race, religion, ethnicity, doesn't matter. The bad guys are trying to make it matter. They do polls based on race and religion. They don't do polls that they should do about income, education, age, those sort of things. This is all about a divide-and-conquer policy. We must unite as Americans and forget about left or right because neither party is on our side. And And we must work together to make politicians accountable to we, the people. When you think about the term special interest, what does that even mean, the special interest groups? These are people whose interests run contrary to that of the American citizen. We, the people, form the government, right? This is about we, the people, not the corporations. Please get involved. Again, I I thank all of the veterans out there for all of your incredible sacrifices and service to America, and I hope that all of you will have a wonderful weekend, folks. Next week, by the way, I will not be here. I'm going to a reunion with a bunch of my colleagues from the old INS. I don't miss those reunions for anything, but I will be back in two weeks. But meanwhile, check out my article at front page. Share information from my website, michaelcutler.net, this program and the work that I do with Dennis Michael Lynch at dmlnews.com. But first and foremost, please remember that democracy is not a spectator sport. Get involved. Your country needs you. Be well. Have a great weekend.